0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians is chock full of glorious gospel truth. Today when we get to verses 4, 5, and 6, we're going to read one of the most glorious descriptions of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there ever was written. But the problem was that the Christians in the region of Galatia were being tempted to believe a false gospel. An alternative gospel. A gospel which is really no gospel, not good news at all. And Paul has fired up the alarm with this letter and is warning and admonishing the Galatians to not give in to the destructive false teaching that has been spreading like gangrene in their midst. And here's what they're being told. They're being told that faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. They're being told that believing in Jesus is fine, as far as it goes. But to be truly justified, and to stay justified, to be right with God, to be righteous in God's sight forever, a believer must also do the works of the law of Moses. Circumcision. The Ten Commandments, the dietary restrictions, the sacred Jewish calendar of days, months, seasons, and years. It's not enough to just believe in Christ alone and that Jesus paid it all. You've also got to keep the law. And we've had three whole chapters of Paul dismantling that idea. And there's a lot more to come. Last time, Paul took us on a quick tour of the whole Old Testament. Whoosh! And he showed us why justification by faith in God's promises, like Father Abraham, was so much better than trying to be justified by the law. Do you remember that? It was a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to go over all of it again, but simply put, the promise was older than the law. The law was only added because of transgression. The law was only temporary. The law couldn't save. The law had us locked up like a big, bad babysitter, and it has effectively done its job. Therefore, we shouldn't go back to it. And faith? Faith has made us sons of God in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the three words that we emphasized at the end of chapter 3? Sons, one, heirs. Right? Sons, one, heirs. That's the result of faith in Jesus Christ. And those ideas are going to be really key again today as well. Because we kind of stopped in the middle of Paul's thought. Verse 1 of chapter 4 is Paul still explaining what he just said at the end of chapter 3. Let me read it to you. We're going to get up to verse 11 and then stop in the middle of Paul's next thought because they're all connected. Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or or rather, are known by God, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've sung the Gospel We've sung the truth of the Gospel. Victory in Jesus. Standing on the promises. Jesus paid it all. All glory be to Christ. And now, Lord, I want to preach the Gospel. Help me to do it faithfully. To say what's right here. And to get it into our hearts. Lord, open our hearts to hear You speaking these words to us. And what a difference they'll make if we receive them and stand on them. Stand on these promises. Stand on the truth of the gospel. And never go back. Would you do that, Lord? Please. We ask it not in our name, but in the name of Jesus the Christ. May all glory be to Him. Amen. You could just feel how concerned Paul is about these Galatians, can't you? He knows they're in terrible danger and it's, it's tearing him up inside. And he's doing everything he can, guided by the Spirit, to persuade them not to turn to this alternative gospel. He's used really strong language so far in this letter, and friends, the strongest language is still to come. He's doing everything he can in writing to persuade them not to turn to this alternative gospel. And in these verses for today, he's doing it by showing them that in Christ they are no longer slaves. Here's our sermon title for today. It's from the first verse, the first phrase of verse 7. So, there's logic there. So you are no longer a slave Say that to the person next to you. So you are no longer a slave. Some of you sound kind of like, so, you're no longer a slave. Tell me about that. Some of you, it's a real declaration. So you are no longer a slave. That's a glorious truth. With far-reaching implications for our lives today. So you are no longer a slave. But that means that at one time, you were a slave, right? At least in some sense. If you've been emancipated, if there's freedom now, at some point there was slavery. That's what he says in verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's just talked about heirs in the previous verse as long as the heir is a child, he is no longer different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul is making an analogy from the Greco-Roman world in which he lived. He says, imagine a child who is the rich heir apparent of a big estate, but he is still a minor. He's still a child. He's unable to exercise the rights over that big estate. In fact, He's subject to babysitters and bossy bodyguards, right? like we saw last time. Even though someday he's going to be the the, the boss, he isn't right now. Someday he's going to own everything, but right now he's no better than a slave. He has to obey. He is under. That word under keeps cropping up in this letter. Under, under, under. Practically speaking, this child is functionally a slave until the date of his graduation from being a minor. Every student who is being bundled off back to school this week knows the feeling. Do I I hear some amens from the kids? I have to go to school. This is a form of slavery. Right? I can't wait until I graduate and I can do whatever I want. Well, Paul says, now take that idea and apply it to our spiritual condition, verse 3. So also, when we were children, I think that was the time when the law of Moses was in effect, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Paul says we were as good as slaves as well. Now, I have to admit that I'm not exactly sure how this verse works. I'm not exactly sure what the basic principles of the word are. The Greek word is stoikia. There are three main interpretations, and they all give a different perspective on it, but all have different strengths and weaknesses as well. The word for basic principles, stoichia, can be like the ABCs of something, like the basic stuff you learn when you go back to school, uh, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? ABC, one, two, three. And that might mean that the Jews who were trying to be justified by the law were enslaved by bo- doing the basics of doing the law, A B C one two three do do do. But the word basic principles was also used for the basic elements in the ancient world, like earth, wind, fire, that sort of thing. What, what we might call like the like the electrons and the and the neutrons and the protons and you know the or the cells, you know the basic the stuff everything is made of. So that would be saying that they were focusing on earthly physical things like circumcision and feasting and fasting and sacrifices, really earthy things, missing the higher spiritual substantial point. The third view is that the basic principles of the word, the stoichia, are spiritual forces of evil. Demons, unclean spirits, the principalities and powers that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. That one makes the most sense to me when this verse is connected to verse 8. But I'm not really sure how the logic works here in verse 3. Maybe I need to go back to school. But the big point is clear. We used to be slaves and not to God. This isn't talking about being a slave of God. That's a good thing. That's not something you want to be freed from. Paul gloriously calls himself a slave of God elsewhere. He says here that we used to be in slavery under the basic principles of the world, which basically means under sin in the the end result. And that's not good. But he says, but it's all changed now because Jesus came. Verse 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Ha, ha, ha. That I understand. That's some good stuff. Isn't that awesome? Those verses are are some of the most glorious statements of the truth of the gospel forever. Look at it really closely. But when the time had fully come, God's timing is fully, is, is perfect. Uh, the, The old King James says, in the fullness of time. Kind of when time was ready to give birth. God had a plan from the beginning, and when the time was ripe, He put it into action. When the law had reigned those 1,400 years or so, then God sent His Son. I have a friend that says that God is seldom early, but never late. He knows exactly when to do something. Maybe this morning that's all you need to hear. The fullness of time. When the time was right. God's timing is perfect. Do you need to hear that this morning? Well, when God's timing was perfect, He knew exactly what to do. He put this plan into effect. He sent Jesus. It says God sent His Son. Now that's interesting too. Because it means that the Son of God was pre-existent. He was eternally God's Son. And God the Father sent His own eternal Son into the world this points to his divinity and then the next the next phrase points to his humanity born what's it say of a woman friends that's as human as you can get if you're born of a born of a woman then you're here today if you weren't born of a woman you aren't here today you aren't a human jesus came from out of mary's womb and she was a virgin Jesus is fully God and fully human in one person sent by God the Father. Born of a woman, born, catch this next phrase, under law. Oh. Even Jesus was born under the rule of the Mosaic law. But here's the thing. He fulfilled it. Jesus lived under the law perfectly and he fulfilled it perfectly. Morally, he got an A on all of his tasks. And so when he took our place on the cross, when he took on the curse of the law, he didn't deserve it so that he could, verse 5, redeem those under the law. Isn't that glorious? Isn't it wonderful how God planned it, how God saved us? The theologian John Stott put it this way, so the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified him to be man's redeemer. If he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. If he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them the sons of God. He was born under law to redeem those under law. That's us. How many of us have thanked Jesus recently for being born under law? I just don't think about that. Because this is what we get, verse 5, that we might receive the full rights of sons. The adoption of sons. Theologian J.I. Packer has said the highest privilege that the gospel offers is adoption, higher even than justification. Justification is wonderful because it leads to something else, it leads to adoption. It's more than just, I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God, with all the rights and privileges of that. You see, in the in the in the Greco-Roman world, adoption was often not the little baby that you get from the orphanage. It was maybe somebody that worked for you and came along in in life, and then you said, "I have no heir. I'm going to make this person my heir, and I'm going to give them the rights of adoption." Okay, so it's less about kind of oh, a cute little baby to to fill up uh, our home, and more of I'm going to set everything I have on this person. That's what he's done with us. He has set everything he has on us and made us his children. And here's where the third person of the Trinity gets in there. Verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See how Trinitarian our salvation is? By virtue of your spiritual adoption, you have the Spirit of God's Son in your heart. And He calls out. He cries out, Abba, Father. Isn't that amazing? I think this morning my sermon is going to be basically, I read it and then I say, isn't that amazing? And I read that and I say, isn't that amazing? Can you believe this? Remember Romans 8.16? The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and He's saying, Abba, Father. And he's not saying that you're his father. He is agreeing with your spirit that God is your father. God is my Abba. That's a word that means father, but it's a it's a personal, intimate, familiar term. It's more like dad. This this is the one I this is the one who loves me, who cares for me. And he's given me everything. He's given me life and, and we are intimately connected. You know, Abba was Jesus' own special name for God. You don't find before Jesus people calling God Father. There's a couple places where God kind of calls Israel His Son. right? But But it's when Jesus comes along that He starts saying, calling God His Father. And it was scandalous to people. And calling Him Abba. He prays in the garden, Abba. And here... It's saying that His Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, now lives inside of you and me, and He causes us, through our spirits, to call God Father. Right? Wow! God is my Abba. God is my Pater, my Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. Let's make that big point number one of three this morning. You are no longer a slave, but a son. So because of Jesus, you are no longer a slave. What what does that make you then? It makes you a son. You are a son in the son. This is a restatement and a reemphasis of what we saw last time at the end of chapter three. And just think about what that means. You're not an orphan. If you are in Christ, you are not alone in this world. Do you feel alone in this world? I'll bet sometimes you do. Does this world scare you? It is a scary world. I get scared of all kinds of things. I worry about all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things that bother me frustrate me but not when the this thought is what is controlling my mind I am not a slave I am not an orphan I'm a son I am a son in the son what do I have to worry about what do you have to worry about I mean really this is why we can pray right do you pray do you pray with confidence do you pray with god to god as your father Do you say heavenly father you've got the spirit of the son of god living in you crying out abba father and that's that's not whispering here it's crying out he's in your heart yelling god's your father do you think God is going to listen to you, pray? God's going to listen to you, pray? You? You bet He is. Because He's your Father. Verses 4 through 6 should give us a great confidence in approaching God in prayer and walking through the minefield of this world. Because that's who you are. Because Jesus is a chain breaker, as Joe saying. No longer slaves, but a son. And that's not all. Verse 7, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. That's big number two this morning. Heir. that, That big old estate is yours to enjoy. You are fabulously rich as an heir of God. We talked about this last time. All of the promises are ours. We are heirs. They're, they're coming to us. Because we are sons in the sun. Or you could say daughters in the sun, ladies. But no, you're in the sun. You don't have, you're not excluded. You're in the sun. One in the sun. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All are blessings of His love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Why? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. Wow. i got homework for you this afternoon. It's back to school Sunday. I can give you homework, right? Read Ephesians 1 this afternoon. And just make a list of all the blessings you have in Christ Jesus. Write down your inheritance. Chosen. Predestined. Adopted. Redeemed. Forgiven. Included. Sealed. Guaranteed. What more do you want? That inheritance is all ours, in part now, and still fully to come. That gives us hope, doesn't it? Do you have hope? So many people are living without hope these days. But we Christians have every good thing to anticipate because we're standing on these promises. Because you're a son, God has also made you an heir. Check the will, your name's on it. And that's not all. You're not only a son, you're not only an heir, but you are also known, verse 8, known Formerly, when you, Gentile Christians, Gentile Galatians, did not know God, you were slaves. There's that word slave again. To those who by nature are not gods. I think that means idols, pagan gods who are not really gods, but are empowered by false gods, by demons. You used to be slaves to them. But now that you know God, or, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? That's that same word stoichia as in verse 3. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now stop there, because he's going on there. He's, he's going to move on and, and start to try to persuade them again, not to turn back. But before that, don't miss that word known You're known by God. Paul can't get over that, and he doesn't want us to either. Because we are not not only no longer slaves to false gods, but now we know God and we're known by God. That's relationship language there, isn't it? This being a son is more than just rights and riches, as wonderful as those are. It's also relationship. You know God now. And Paul says, it wasn't from you. It wasn't from your obedience to God that made you a son. It's because God came after you. You are known by God. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? When you walk out of here today, think about that. Just meditate on that. I am known by God. But not just like intellectually. This is not just knowing about some. It's not like, yeah, oh yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, I know him. It's I know Him. It's, it's, it's relationship. It's togetherness. It's when, when, when you say you know somebody. That's precious. You know what's really amazing is when somebody knows you and they still love you. Right? <laughs> that's God. He knows you. And He loves you. Because of what Jesus did, you know and are known by God. I have a friend who's been going through a really tough time in his life recently. And this week, he just about got to the end of his rope. He hit the absolute rock bottom. You know what he found there at the bottom? He found Jesus was already there. And he found forgiveness and peace and joy and hope and the ability to go on and not just to go on but to make big strides because he knows god and is known by god it's wonderful this is everything and that's why it's so crazy that these people wanted to go back that they wanted to go back to slavery Do you see where paul's going with all this he says, you are known by God, verse 9, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Raise your hand if you'd rather be a slave. I want to go back to school. But I don't want to be told i got to go back to school. Who wants to go back to the stoikia? Who wants to go back to doing what that tells you all the time? I didn't think so but that's what you're doing if you add law keeping to the gospel of grace verse 10 you're observing special days and months and seasons and years think people think you're acting like it's the law or something like you have to do that to please god like you're earning your justification by obeying the law of moses sabbath new moon feast of tabernacles day of atonement that's going backwards In fact, taking that on is the same thing as paganism. It'd be just like going back to your old idols to take that on. That's a shocking thing for Paul to say. Because those things, of course, are not bad in and of themselves. They were gifts of God to the Jewish people. But if they were being placed on the Galatians as a stipulation of their justification, Paul says that's basically the same thing as being a slave to a false god. It's just another kind of idolatry. Don't turn back. Don't go back to slavery, verse 11. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. What a scary thing for Paul to say. And he's got a lot more to say. We'll pick it up there next week. But do you get it? If you are in Christ Jesus and trusting in Christ alone, then you're no longer a slave. You're a son, you're an heir. You are known. So, why would you want to go back? Don't go there. Relish what you have in adoption, inheritance, and your relationship with God because that's enough to live on from here to all eternity. Don't add anything else. Don't go back to slavery. Live out of your sonship, live out of your inheritance live out of your own personal relationship with God because you are no longer a slave.